0: Okay, a first night of VBS, of course, we are uh, studying the flood. Each night, uh, we're going to be studying different topics uh, concerning the flood. We're going to talk about tonight, the world. Uh, then we're going to talk, uh, uh, talk about the man, Noah. We're going to talk about the animals. We're going to talk about the ark. And then we're going to end on Thursday night with talking about the flood uh, itself. When you think about... Everything that has taken place over time. You know, we always think that it's just always going to be like it's always going to be. But time changes things, doesn't it? It changes the physical things. You can just drive down the road and see that things aren't what they used to be. Uh, They're different. The landscape changes for various different reasons. It might even be... uh, someone go in and clear out something and put in a subdivision or a storm come through and, and and totally change the landscape or you know you can drive down the road and i i know a lot of people say well i remember it was just cows and fields on this side now all it is is houses and roads and things of this nature so it changes things physically it may change us physically you know we're we're different as, as time goes on it can change us in a lot of different ways i'm noticing uh, you know, I'm still charming and good looking, but I don't have the memory that I used to have. I don't, y'all can laugh at that if you want to. You, you don't have, it was true though, wouldn't it, really? I'm still charming and good looking. And, yeah. So time does change things though. You, you, you can't do the things that you used to do. You, you know, start losing hair, changes colors, there, but it just changes things. Well, when you think about the changes that uh, uh, happens, we're going to look tonight, we're going to look at the world. And we're going to see the changes that has took place when it comes to the world. We're going to look at, uh, uh, briefly to start with, we're going to look at some physical changes for the world itself. But we're also going to look at the spiritual condition uh, that the world underwent. So first of all, what was the earth like before the flood? Now I'm talking physically, What, what was it like? Well first we need to start with the age of the earth, Genesis 5. There's a lot of debate on how old the earth is. Depending on what scientists you talk to, there's a lot of scientists will say, well, it's millions of years old. You talk to creation scientists, and they'll, they'll tell you about, from a biblical account how old the earth was. If you look at Genesis chapter 5, roughly 1,656 years old. And you can get that if you go to Genesis chapter 5. And if you go through the genealogy from Adam all the way down, you'll get roughly 1,656 uh, uh, years old, as far as the earth, roughly, at the time of the flood. Um, and things has changed since then, physically. You know, you, you think about the, the time that's, that's transpired that the earth, that God formed the earth and, and created things and all, everything that he did, it was different then than it was now. There's a lot of scientific evidence, and Jeff Miller being one of them with Apologetics Press says, there are several scientific evidence that suggest that the Earth's continents were once joined together in one big landmass, a landmass that geologists call Pangea. Now, when you think about this, you, you think about the continents as they are now and how they're spread out. But there's scientific evidence that some a lot smarter than me has figured out. That you, if you look at it now and see the rate that the continents are moving, they're moving some. They think uh, like centimeters, you know, very few centimeters per year, about about like the growth of your fingernail. And if you take that and you go backwards with the continents, they say if you go backwards, all the continents actually fit together like a puzzle. Uh, not only just fit together, the, the mountains fit together, the, uh, uh, the rock formations, everything about it seems to fit together. Now here's where the problem arises, though. They say, okay, yeah, that did take place, but what happened as they broke apart. It is taking millions of years to get the continents in the position in which they're in now. Unless, unless something happened that made them move quicker at one point in time than they are now. Hence, that's where the flood comes in. You know, when we think about the flood, I was kidding them over there. I said, when you, you know, you think about over here as we're going to be teaching of how violent the flood was. It wasn't that just the waters just rise up and it just starts raining, drizzling first, starts raining. The earth actually broke open, water spewing out, everything shot up, then it comes down causes rain. I mean, it was just a, a horrific... Uh, a thing that took place that broke these continents apart that caused it to them to move at a more rapid rate. That's what scientists believe. Now whether that's true or not, you say, well, what does that have to do with us biblically? Well, I think there's some things, and I think this, and uh, Jeff Miller actually has a good video on this, and other creation scientists actually has a good video on this that goes into it very in depth about exactly what took place when you see the earth's mantle and how it went down into, uh, uh, into the earth's mantle and as it broke apart, the, the crust, the uh broke apart and how they formed the continents in which we see now at the rate in which they're doing. But having said all of that, what I'm wondering is we see how the physical condition was, but what about the spiritual condition? We can debate all we want to on the the physical condition of the world, we can look at it and we can say, well, I believe it was like this or I believe it was like that. But one thing I don't believe we can debate on, because I think the Bible's clear of what the spiritual condition of the world was then. What was it that led up, and as we said, time changes everything. What led up from where, when God created everything that we know, and He created man, and we see from that point to the time He sent the flood, what took place? What what kind of condition was man in that God said, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to destroy the world? How bad do we have to be for that to happen? What kind of physical or or spiritual state do we have to be in for that to take place? Well, here's where it comes in, a serpent. If you go to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 3, we're going to be studying mostly this week, Genesis 6 through 9, But we want to understand tonight what led up to the flood. So if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, look at the very beginning in verse 31. It says, Then God saw everything that He made, and indeed it was very good. So God created everything. He looked out and seen everything that He created, not only that it was good, but that it was very good. So how do we get from a point where God looked at everything and seeing how good it is to the point where he gets to know and says, I'm going to destroy the world. Something had to take place in between that time. So what took place? There's where you have the serpent. You have Satan taking the form of a serpent. He's in the garden and he begins to um, do what he does. He, from the very beginning, he's a liar. What did he do? Well, from the very beginning, he sowed doubt. In verse 1, remember as he's, he's talking to Adam and Eve, he says, Has God really said? You know, God said, Don't eat of the uh, a tree of knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat it, you will surely die. And what does Satan say? Has God indeed said that? Did he really, is that really what he said? See, that's, that's what he does, isn't it? He, he has to plant that seed of doubt. And that's what he did here from the very beginning. God looks over everything and he says, it's very good. You've got the serpent here. Now, did God know? And he made provisions for this, uh, of course, bringing in his son. Well, of course he did. But we see here at the very beginning how Satan works. He, he started out by planting doubt. Has he ever done that to you? Has he ever done that to me? Does he plant doubt? Did, did, does God really say that? Did, 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 he re- did he really mean it that way you know, I've heard several sermons on uh, what if God really meant what He said? What if He did? What kind of shape would we be in? If God really meant what He said, and He does, and that's what we need to think about. But Satan here at the very beginning, as we look at the spiritual condition of man when God sent the flood, here's where this starts. It starts with him so in doubt. Now, not only did he sow doubt... He flat-out lied now he's got some doubt he's got them thinking what really did god say so satan says if you're doubting that i'll tell you what he said he said you won't surely die well god didn't say that but now that he's got them doubting now that they're wondering did i really hear what he said did i and i'm sure god didn't just tell them one time you know see we we think about all that uh, uh that god only said to them what he said God had an intimate relationship with them.
1: God, he,
0: he was very comfortable with them. They were very comfortable with God Till Satan changed that. So he gets them doubting, then he lies to them, then he twists the truth. Remember in verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Basically he's telling Eve, God doesn't want you to be like him. Now see, in part of this doubt, and I think sometimes... We, we think that this is how it took place. That Adam and Eve was ignorant. They didn't know anything until they ate, opened, uh, ate the fruit. Then all of a sudden they knew everything about good and evil. They already knew good and evil. That wasn't the point. They knew good and evil because God told them what to do and what not to do. What to do was good. What not to do was evil. God told them not to do it. But what Satan did, he planted that doubt. He lied to them. Then he twisted the truth and said, God just does, he doesn't want you to be like them. Well, I tell you, that just got to working on her. That just got to working on her. She's like, well, I want to be like God. I-, I want to do that. As a matter of fact, we can look. In 1 John 2 and 16, he does the same thing to us. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Satan is still doing now what he was doing then. See, what he did then, Genesis 3 6, what he got Eve to do, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. There you have everything that's in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. That's exactly what he did here. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and it was going to make one wise. Aside from Satan and his angels, here's here's where pride enters in. Pride entered in. He played on that. He knew that, okay, if I can put that doubt, if I can lie, if I could get her to focus on something different than God, and especially start thinking about, hey, what's this going to do for me? This is going to make me wise. I can be like God. I can be just like Him. It can open my eyes. They knew everything they needed to. God provided everything he needed to provide them. This wasn't the only trees that were in the garden. But it's like we always say, it's just like there's 30 green buttons on a wall. One red button says you can touch every button on there, just don't touch the red one. Which one do you want to touch? You want to touch that red one, don't you? Why? Because you can't. Someone told you you couldn't do it. How dare you tell me I can't do that? How dare you tell me that there's something that I can't do. I can decide for myself. Can we? There's a way that seemeth right unto men, but the end therefore are the ways of death. O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So can I really decide for myself on these matters? Well, of course not. God instructed them. God was caring for them. Everything was very good. And then we see what takes place. Well, he still does this today. What is it? It's lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. Every temptation that comes our way That we can give into, as James tells us, remember when when we desire something, when we give into that desire, when we give over to it, it becomes sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. This is how it does it. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. You can't think of one, not one temptation that we give into as far as it goes into sin that doesn't come, come into one of these avenues. That's why Satan continues to use it. That, that's all that he uses in various different forms, but it comes down to this. He started with Adam and Eve. What about Jesus? He did the exact same thing with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He, he went at him with the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. If you're the son of God, he's already playing on his pride. If you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You know what I'd done? I'd done it. If I'd been fasting that long, I'm I'm hungry. I, I don't go that you can look, I don't go that long without eating. So what's he going to do? He wants to go with what he thinks is going to be your weakest. He's not going to go with your strongest. He's going to go with the weakest that he thinks. But Jesus come at him and told him, well, what did he do? He offered him all the things of the world. Remember up on the pinnacle. And it was his to give the things of the world. There again, he looked. look at all this that you can have. Look how wonderful it is. And then it's cast yourself off there. God's not, you're a the son of God. God's not going to let you let you get hurt. Again, hey, if you're a son of God, you're, you're a big deal here. God's not going to let you get hurt on it. Again, playing on the pride. He did Jesus the same way. But unlike Eve, and unlike many times with us, say uh, Jesus did something that we should always do. What did he do? It is written, it is written, it is written. Every single time he went back to Satan with the Word of God. Because, see, you don't have to know Satan's lying. You don't have to know that he's twisting the truth. You don't have to let him plant doubt. You know how to keep him from doing that? Know the truth. And if we know the truth, we won't let doubt come in. If we know the truth, we'll know when he's lying. If we know the truth, we know if he's twisting it around. I don't have to know every tactic he has. I do know it comes through here. But what I have to know is the truth. You shall know the truth and truth shall make you free. That's what's going to do it. That's what we have to realize. Again, we're trying to set the stage here of the spiritual condition that led to the world. So when God created, what did he do? He created a world that he said, it's very good. He was proud of his work. But then we see what took place. Let's go a little farther. Then there was a sacrifice. First you have the serpent coming in, then there was a sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 16, we see this. And with this sacrifice, there was a compromise. God told them what to do. But then you have Cain in Genesis chapter 4 here, verse 3. Cain offered the first fruits of the ground. That wasn't what God said to do. So he compromised. He knew the instructions. He he knew what they were. And actually, we don't think about it, but Satan was using on Cain the same thing he used on Eve, same thing he used on Jesus, same thing he uses on us. He's playing to it here. You're going to let God tell you what to give you? You're you're a tiller of the ground. look, Look at what you're producing. And many people, and I've heard people say, well, that's what Cain did. He brought God the best of what he grew, but that's not what God asked for. Cain could have got what God asked for. He could have used what he had grown. He could have used what he had, and he could have produced something and and made uh, arrangements to give God what God demanded and instructed that he wanted. It's not about me. It's about God. It's always been about him. But here we see Satan, once again, causing Cain to make a sacrifice. You know, Abel, he he raised flock. Abel gave the first fruit of his flock and the fat. Then you got Cain. Cain made a compromise to what God said. You may say, well, Abel had it a lot easier. Look at what he, he already had it. It's not about using our talents to do something different than God wants us to do. It's not about using our abilities to do something different than God wants to do. I use my talents, but I use my talent to do what God said for me to do. Not to change his instructions, and that's what we're going to get in as we go through this week with Noah. Always remember that verse, thus Noah did all that God commanded him, thus Noah did. Exactly what God wanted, but Cain didn't do that. Then you had a comparison. You've got Genesis 4 four through 5 here, and I encourage you to go read it. We're not going to have time uh, through any of these lessons to read every inter, inter part of it. But you have what Abel gave, and you have what Cain gave. And what uh, Abel gave was different than what Cain gave. Abel gave what God instructed him. Cain didn't do what God instructed him, and he was upset about it. And God even gives him a, a, a little pep talk about it. You know, why, why are you upset about this? Basically what he says, if you just do what you're going to do, uh, what you're supposed to do, things will be fine. If you don't, then this is what's going to happen. Sin is at the door. But you can overcome that. He wasn't talking about, when he said sin is at the door, he wasn't talking about, uh, it was. A, it's just a sin that you gave me a tomato. That's not exactly what this was all about. What he's saying was, Satan's at your door. He's the reason you gave something different, but you can overrule that. You can overcome that. That's the doubt that Satan tries to put in us. That's him twisting the truth to think we can't overcome that. Look at every story that you can think about in, in Scripture. Satan can only do what God allowed him to do, and God won't allow him to do Over and above what we can overcome. He always provides a way for us, the Bible tells us. We just got to be strong enough to take it. Cain should have done that. So he compromised. Now there's a comparison there. And what does Cain do? Like all of us will. We don't like to be told we're wrong. We don't like to be told what we do. So what do we do? We get mad. He didn't get angry. He got mad. And when you get mad, you don't make the right decisions. So then he had a choice. What, what's he going to do now? It, it, it's, it's brought out what he's done. He knows that he's not done the right thing. Instead of making that right, he's mad and jealous of Abel. Because Abel did the right thing. That's Satan at work too. Isn't that what he does to us out in the world? The world gets mad. We think they're mad at us because they take it out on us. They're really mad at themselves because they didn't do the right thing to begin with and they're mad, and they got to take it out on somebody. So he's in the field, he's talking to his brother, and he kills him. Why? Because Cain didn't do what he was supposed to do. Abel did, so he killed him for it. He got mad. He got upset. And that's the condition that we're seeing. Now there's consequences. The consequences, when God goes talk to him, and uh, Cain makes that great statement, I'm not my brother's keeper. I don't know. Where's he at? Ain't got nothing to do with me. Well, God already knows, and Cain knows he knows. But they go through the process here. He tells him, okay, he's going to be cursed. He's going to be, uh, all this is going to take place. And, and it, Cain is, is seeing now, he's like, oh, this is, this is a little harsh. God tells him, you know, the ground that you're tilling, it's going to, not going to bring the strength that it did. Now things are going to be different not going to be the same for you, and he puts a curse on him, and he tells him, anybody that uh, goes against him will be cursed seven times, and we're going to get into something about that a little bit later, but so you see here, from the very beginning, what Satan did, now you've got uh, them in a garden, because when they got expelled, Adam and Eve got expelled out of the garden, as they started having children, they had these two children, and we see what took place here, you've got one that was doing right, one that did wrong, and what the one who did wrong did uh, to Abel for doing right. So now, now you've got a selection. Now with this selection, you got from uh, verses 16 all the way through chapter 6, you've got, start seeing the lineage of Adam and Eve's uh, lineage. You've got, of course, Abel was killed, they spelled out, so now you've got Cain, then later on they had Seth. So you've got... Different lineages, one that came from uh, Seth, you got the one that came from Cain, and we can see the difference in how it become uh, with that. you got Cain's lineage. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 19, we see Lamech. This is the first Lamech, not the second Lamech. There's actually two in Genesis. First Lamech here, this would be Cain's great-great-great-grandson. I believe that's correct, because you've got, uh, and their their father's is actually uh, Methuselah and another one that sounds just like Methuselah. So you've got, and that's where their similarities stop with these two uh, Lamax. But you've got Cain's great-great-great-grandson now, Lamach, and what does he do? He introduces the first time of polygamy in uh, Genesis 4 and verse 19. And not only that, verses 23 through 24, we see that he commits murder. Uh, someone wounds him, and he kills him for it uh, because of it. And then he brags about it. He goes back to his wives, and he says, Yeah, Cain, uh, those that uh, curse him, Cain is seven times. Those who come at me is 70 times that. In other words, they can't touch me. They can't do nothing to me. There's the pride. That pride has led to, I can do what I want to, so he marries two wives. I can do what I want to, so now I can murder whoever I want to for whatever reason I want to. That's what you see with uh, Cain's uh, lineage. Then you see Seth's lineage's, uh, lineage in Genesis 4, verse 26. Then you've got them coming down to where you've got Seth's great-great-grandson, which is Enoch. Remember Enoch, that we, we find out that God took him. I think he was 365 years old when God took him. Uh, 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 it just says that God took him because he walked with God. Then you got uh, uh, Enoch that uh, went down to Methuselah, which goes to Lamech, which eventually goes to Noah. So you see the difference in the lineage. But you see where this this comes out. We we think what we do, we we think the example that we set only affects us. We, We see a different thing here. It not only affects us, it affects our children. It affects our children's children. It affects our children's children's children. See how it goes down? It's not just the decision that we make. The decisions that we make and the things that we do can carry on for generations. And we don't think about that responsibility as parents. We could do a whole lesson here on parents. You know, we don't think about what that can do. But here we see that. We see that with the the lineages there. here. Then there was a turning point. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 1, what was that turning point? It says, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now, there's a lot of... I say a lot, there's quite a bit of debate and discussion on what does it mean here when it says the, uh, 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 the daughters of men and the sons of God. Uh, it's really basically a euphemism. You've got uh, uh, the sons of God, which is the, the, the righteous, that are going with the daughters of men, which are the unrighteous, and they start mingling. There's a turning point. There's a time when they, they make a decision I'm going to do something different. I'm going to compromise. I'm going to just follow this path. And that path leads, when you start trying to mix righteous with unrighteous, you know, what are you going to get? Evil company does what? It's Bible class, you can answer. Corrupts good morals, doesn't it? You know, like I've been told, my wife told me one time, you know, you stick a cotton ball in the ink bottle, is it going to turn the ink white? Is that what it does? Doesn't do it that way, does it? So here you have a turning point. You have a turning point to where the, the world has now started going against what, uh, what the way of God is. Now, again, we're, we're trying to build a platform, we're, we're trying to see the steps. You know, it, it always goes back to we want to know how do we get to where we are? How do we get to this point? You ever ask that question about our country? we can get in if we hopefully got time, if I don't ramble too much, into some of the things with our country. But you ever wonder, how do you get to this point? How do you get to where we are? We get to where we are because of, of what happened here. And we get to where we are here because of what happened here. We've always said, you want to know how the country's going to be? In uh, 10 years, look at the families now. The families now, how the family dynamics are now is how... The world's going to be. You want to know how the church is going to be in 10 years? Look at it now. What's our congregation going to be like? Look at how they are now. That's going to determine that. You know, you, uh, uh, I was talking to uh, a fellow just the other day talking about, uh, you know, now gospel preachers, they can get uh, hard to come by. And You, you talk to one, you want to hold a gospel meeting for us? Well, I'm booked up for five years. I'm booked up for 10 years. And I'm thinking... Are they going to be faithful in five years? Are they going to be faithful in ten years? We don't ever know. We we don't know how it's going to be then. You know, you you would hope so. You would think so. Am I going to be faithful tomorrow? I would hope so. I pray that I am. But I've not been faced with the challenges of tomorrow yet. I don't know how Satan's going to come at me. I don't know uh, of what avenue of lust of the eye, lust of flesh, or the pride of life that he's going to use on me tomorrow. I don't know that yet. I've not faced it yet. But I hope I'm strong enough to. But we're seeing the turning point. We're seeing how we get to where we are and how they got uh, to where they are. Then you see a summary. Now this summary is to how did they go from God looking over everything and saying it's very good to I'm going to destroy the world. And we've seen what happened with Adam and Eve. We've seen what happened between Cain and Abel. We see what happened between Cain's lineage. We see what happened between Seth's lineage. We see the turning point of of, of man starts compromising. And now we get to look at what Genesis 6 tells us. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, verse 5. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Now, let's, let's think about this while we see this going on. If... You can go to Genesis 5 and and get a pretty good idea of what the age of the earth was. uh, 1,656 years old, roughly, at the time of the flood. This is what man had become in that time period. This this is what the spiritual condition of man was uh, in, in that span of time. And it began very early in the garden. This is what man has become. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How many times have we read over that verse? Do we see the implication of that? Do we see what it really means? Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's all that man thought about. That's all that man... Can, can you imagine living in a world, and I think we're not too far removed from imagining it, where everyone around you is thinking evil? It's no longer they call good you know it's it's what we you know good evil evil good woe unto them who do that Isaiah tells us and and you look and you say how 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 can things get to this point look at where it was here every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously the earth was also corrupt before god and the earth was filled with violence you ever think from god's perspective what this looked like can you imagine the hurt that he felt to see that? Can you imagine that, that aspect of it? Not only how it is to live there, live in this world, but to from that point. It was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. So this is what it had become. This is, this is what we're seeing. And it wasn't that long that this took place. Now, now you have the longest sermon ever. Remember in Genesis 6, 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. Now, believe it or not, like anything else, it seems like there's more debate when it comes to the things of Noah than, than anything in creation. What does the hundred and twenty years actually mean? Does that mean that man at this time was only going to live 120 years and and that's the span? They lived longer before that, but now they're only going to live to 120. Well, we know that's not the case. There were many after that that lived at a much uh, older age than that. So what he's talking about, he's talking about the the long-suffering of God. He's talking about, okay, this is what it's going to be before he's going to bring judgment upon the world. Now, this wasn't the only time that we see God's long-suffering. Sodom and Gomorrah is a good example of this, isn't it? In Genesis chapter 18 and 19, remember that whole conversation uh, between Abraham and God about Sodom and Gomorrah? Basically, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, Abraham's saying, "Abraham saying, are you really going to destroy them? The righteous with the unrighteous? You, you, you're really going to do that? What if there's 50 righteous there? God said, I, I, I'll spare the city for 50. Well, what about 45? Yeah? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? Yeah, couldn't even find 10. God's long-suffering was there, wouldn't it? You know, when you think about this, Lord's, and He said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he's indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Again, we're, we've seen uh, of the destruction of God when His long-suffering, there's a point where that cup is full. And destruction's coming. And that's what we've seen with Sodom and Gomorrah. What about David? Did, David uh, uh, did God practice long-suffering with David? You take 2 Samuel 11 through 12, you see all that David did when it comes to the sin with Bathsheba. You see the sin that he had with Uriah, with murder in Uriah. And we see the consequences that come from that. But God's long-suffering was there. And you can go through the book of Psalms and see how David felt about that long-suffering of God. We can see what, how God truly loves us and He wants us to do right. He gives us time to do it, but there comes a point. There comes a point when that cup is full. What about the Israelites? Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. God, He, he practiced long-suffering time and time again with them, as the Hebrew writer explains to us. But there comes a time when judgment is coming. What about mankind in general? 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9 talking about when Jesus comes to to bring vengeance on those who know not God nor obey the gospel? What about 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 talks about God's long suffering? But there's going to come a time when that's up. Everything we see is going to be gone, it's going to be melted. That destruction's coming. But God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3 tells us. He's not willing that any should perish. But now think about You think about, well, God is harsh. Look at the flood that He brought on and the destruction that was there. That's just too harsh. God gave them ample time, didn't He? He gave them ample time. They were preached to for 120 years. How good did that do? Who was listening? Who had ears to hear? Did they hear what he had to say? What about American culture? Now we could do the whole lesson on this, couldn't we? God is being systematically removed from the fabric of American culture. Christian morality is under heavy attack and immorality is rampant. you got atheism, abortion, homosexuality, you know, used to, you just stop there and say, here's, here's what you have," but now it goes into, I don't even know what all is out there anymore, with transgender and uh, all the different letters with, with B's and Q's and all that. There, there's just so much out there now. It's, it, you lose track of, of what the new fad is nowadays. And unfortunately, that's what it becomes. That, that's what it starts out. A lot of kids don't even know that it is. It's just the end thing to do now. It, it, it's just the, the fad. That's just what everybody else is doing yeah, everybody else at one time was thinking evil continuously too. That's what the multitude will do, but that's what we see around us. You know, we think about how bad it was then, but how far removed are we from that now? How long is God's long suffering going to be with us? This don't need to be a doom and gloom, but there can be some doom and gloom. Look at all the things that are happening now. What, what's the intent of man's heart now? Is it good? We were talking, I guess it was in our Bible study this morning. You know, I can remember just being in high school, taking Bible under Jimmy Anderson. You know, reading the scriptures in school, doing, you know, everything was around that. You, you, you had prayer, you had these, you know, you're starting to do that. And why is that happening? You know, it's, it's not a coincidence that things like that start out in the school system start out with our kids because if you can you know when it comes into a lot of things I know we got a lot of wonderful teachers that that have to combat this daily I couldn't imagine I wouldn't want to be a teacher because how hard it is now or a bus driver Uh, because I don't guess you can reach around whoop somebody now can I don't believe if they're causing trouble I don't believe I don't think I could do that I don't think I'd have the patience for it the long suffering for it but you see that you know it has to start at a young age because what the world wants is quit teaching these things and start indoctrinating certain things. You know, start in, you, know you, you see, and I just seen this the other day, this bumper sti- uh, sti- uh, sticker that we all just have to coexist. That, that's really an impossible thing, isn't it? Especially with some of the things they want to coexist with, their whole mission is to kill us and annihilate us. So how can there be any coexisting there? But you, you think about how it took from God creating everything and it's very good to get to how the spiritual condition at the world at the time of Noah, it wasn't that big of a span. That man was, every intent in their heart was evil. So how do we, are we at that point? Are we getting close to that point? Evolution is taught as fact in public education. God, the Bible, prayer are all, all pushed out. Um, you know, I think about back when I was in school, I didn't, of course, give any thought to creation or evolution. You know, if, if, if someone said, yeah, there's dinosaurs, they were millions of years ago. Okay. <laughs> you know, you don't think about the impact of that. You just grow up listening to different things like that, or you see it in books. I don't know if I ever actually had a teacher ever tell me anything about millions of years ago, but a, a book was there with it. But... You think about that, it just becomes sometimes part of who you are. And then when you actually start hearing the truth, that truth is foreign to you, isn't it? That truth is something that, wait a minute, that, that can't be right. That, that, that can't be right. These, these individuals that you see on TV, these, these individuals that you read in books, that, that has all these letters by their name, they can't be wrong. And some lay person with a Bible going to tell me that it's different than that? That, that, that's hard to do isn't it but that's the kind of environment that's the kind of society that we're we're in whether we realize it or not and you know, i made the statement not long ago in class that even though at a younger age uh, uh i wasn't a christian but the influence was all around me because i grew up in jackson county so the influence there was all around me so I knew right from wrong. I knew that it was the right thing to do even though I wasn't doing it. I had that influence. But there's a lot of places don't have the, the luxury like maybe we do in a small town. They, they, they grow up with something totally different. And it affects them as they grow older even trying to be taught or learning the truth. But again, this is what we see. Let's look at some similarities, and I think we'll have, we've got about ten more minutes left, so I think we can get through this. Uh, Spiritual corruption. You've got Genesis 6, 5 through 12. You've got all the summary that we talked about of how every intent of their heart was evil. You've got, I'm very excited when we get to the man Noah, because when you get to the man Noah, there was a stark contrast of how the world was and Noah and his family was. And you see why God uh, chose him because of what he carried out and the, the great uh, responsibility that he had. But I think we can see some similarities. You can go back and read uh, Genesis chapter six. It's it really like reading the newspaper or watching, you know, watching the news on TV. I think it's going to be pretty similar uh, to the same thing. Uh, you got uh, you got destruction coming, imminent destruction. Second uh, Peter three one through ten tells us that. You know, just like the time of the flood, you know, there were scoffers. They were doing what they were doing. Then now you had a time where they said, everything's been just like it was from the beginning of time. Where's, where's all this supposed to happen? Where's this going to go? They didn't realize that uh, with God, a thousand years are like a year. His long-suffering is there. But God doesn't want anyone to be left out. He's long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge. See, it's just like it was then. You think there were scoffers then? You think they were then saying, that's crazy. It's not going to do what you say it's going to do. You're wasting your time. Why would you give up your your time, your energy? You could be doing something else. Why would you be building that ark? Why would you do that? It's not going to be like you say it is. You know, we always want to put ourselves in that position. I, I say that a lot myself when I'm studying. If I was there, how would I act? Well, how would I respond? If I seen the miracles that were there, how would I have reacted? Boy, if I could have just seen it, boy, I would have believed. I don't know if I would have not. I think I might have been one looking over there, oh man, you're crazy. You, you know how, much, how, how, how long that's going to take to do? You know how much hard work that is? tell you what, I don't believe you, but if you'll hire me for so much, I'll help you. I don't care. I'll do it. I don't believe it, but I'll do it. There's no doubt in my mind. I think that's probably what took place on so in some instances. I think he did have hired help even with the ones that didn't believe it. Probably mocked him the whole time, laughed at him, but cast your check on Friday. And I think we see a lot of that today. And we see God's temporary toleration. 2 Peter 3, 9, God is long-suffering. We need to say that over and over and over again. God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to Him. Now, we've got to think about this. You know, we, we make the statement that God wants everybody. Is that a true statement? What about where it says, whosoever will come after me God wants you to believe it God wants you to accept it God wants you to follow it he wants you to be different than what the world is would we be in any different than what the world is with God's toleration of it for so long would we have been any different I don't know God looks down on us of the world he said yep that, that's, that's a child of mine that's the world is there a difference is there a difference how we act? Is there a difference what we say? Is there a difference what we do? Is there a difference in what our entertainment is? Is, is there a difference? Because we've got to realize this world is not all that there is. There's more, there's something else that's coming. But we want to look at this world and, and we want to fit in. We want to. I can remember saying, some, uh, someone saying one time that, you know, you got to help your children to, to fit into this world and to be normal. Think about that statement. To be normal. What is it to be normal? I actually had somebody say that to my children one time. When are your parents going to let you be normal? You know, they were homeschooled, preacher, kid, my kid. All that made them weird, I guess. Especially being mine. When are you going to let them be normal? I took offense to that. Because... I don't want, now there's a time I fell into that. There's a time I'm like, well, well what's people going to say? What's, what's people going to do if you're different than somebody else? And I'm not talking about just some regular, I'm talking about even in Christianity where you have to say no when maybe the rest of the parents are saying yes. Or, or you have to, you know, explain to your child why this is wrong when it looks like other people, good people, are saying it's Right. That's a hard conversation to have. Many parents aren't willing to have it. Many parents aren't willing to say, yeah, we're, we're going to be different. You have to make that as a choice. But to do that, you have to look at something like this and say, okay, what's the spiritual condition of the world? What, what, what's going to be the end of it? What, uh, you know, look at the loving kindness of God that, that He has allowed us and given us that time and, and that, that, that mercy and grace to be able to do that. But we have to serve Him. We have to make that choice to do different, even if the world is going off the deep end. And that's not easy to do. Sometimes you feel like you're standing by yourself. Sometimes we feel like Elijah and say, I'm the only one. God has said, get up, you're not the only one. I've got more that's following me. It may not look like it, but I've got more that's that's doing that. Second Peter three beginning at verse eleven. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought we ought to be in holy conduct and in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. The long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Gives us that opportunity for salvation. So I want us to think about tonight. We've got just a few minutes. Think about, as we study this week, about what led up. It seems like a lot of times all we think about is the flood and the ark and the building of the ark and, and the animals and, and these types of things. But think, really think about what that world, this world, well that world because it's a different one now, than it was then, though we're going in the same spiritual direction it looks like. Think about what it was like to live in that. Think about, you know, we we make a statement a lot of times and say, I I just want the freedom to do whatever I want. I don't want anybody to tell, I, I just want a world without laws. Do we really? Do we really want a law where anybody can do anything they want to do, especially when they're thinking evil continuously? Some of that evil continuously is probably going to be towards you or toward me. What are we going to do about that? There's no moral standard, there's no moral law, there's no right or wrong. It's evil continuously. That's where, that's where man had become. Now we're in this situation. What are you going to do? Do you think that was a happy world? Do you think that brought them happiness and joy? Why were they thinking evil continuously? Because they're probably mad and upset and and violent and just on edge all the time. There wasn't no peace. There wasn't any joy. There wasn't any happiness. Why was there any reason for the world like that to continue? There wasn't any reason at all, were there? But yet we still find where God was long-suffering, told Noah, here's what you do, The world around him seen that, but yet they still didn't believe. So I want you to keep it in your mind as we go through it this week. Think about as we're studying about Noah the man. Think about as we're studying all the animals and the ark and the dimensions and everything and get down to the flood itself. Just think about that world and what that world would be like. And maybe that will help us today to answer the question, do we want a world like that? And I think that answer will be no, (laughs) I don't want a world like that. And I know you don't either. I appreciate you listening.